Welcome to Rogue Bogues, episode 20. Pro, what's going on? Well, I'm in fucking hiding now because of this Lawndale shit. I can't go to an Outback Steakhouse. They told me to fuck off. I tried to rent from iTunes. I tried to rent Crocodile Dundee. They told me to go fuck off and watch Molokov. And then I told my wife, hey, how you doing? She told me to fuck off. So I'm in hiding. This Lawndale thing's fucking unbelievable. I'd put him on the NBA first team if I could. This has turned my <laughs> life into a living fucking nightmare. Yeah, the NBA, uh, All-NBA team would definitely, you get a thank you card from him. But no, nah, he's okay. He, he likes a little, you've been going back and forth with him a little bit. He's got a good sense of humor. Love that fucking guy. Love him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. <laughs> but for he, sure. he did tell me he was uh, listening to the podcast in his car driving when we went through our boomers picks and punched his steering wheel a few times <laughs> after you cut him. <laughs> yeah, I think the next time I'm, I'm, I'm asked to do some shit like this, it might be a good idea to check the fucking original roster. When you put that shit up on social media with him with the Australia jersey, I was like, oh, what the fuck? I should have cut David Robinson for the 92 Olympic team then. Jesus Christ. Like, I said, I should fucking do a little bit of fucking homework for once. Nah, that's all right. That's all right. It made for good banter. But yeah. look, we, uh, we'll get rolling. We have um, a gangster move by the Clippers last night. I mean, can we call it a tank? Yeah. I mean, they they... This is from at Worldwide Wob. So this is this guy's hilarious, by the way. At Worldwide Wob on uh, oh, yeah. Twitter, he is an absolute hilarious follow. If you haven't followed him, follow him. His tweet was: Clippers have done it. They bench Kawhi, PG, Man, Reggie, Beverly, Zubats, Morris, Pooled, and lose to Houston. Nuggets won and have tiebreaker on them. Clippers now control their own destiny, getting the four seed, which means likely avoiding the Lakers until the West Finals. Big time chess move. But the reason why I brought this up is we're seeing a whole lot more of that. I uh, got you to do some homework, which you're going to talk about in a second about how stressful it was, but it is tiebreak central in the NBA. We've got teams purposely losing, trying to move down, teams trying to, you know, a few teams trying to win to stay safe. The Lakers still battling out of out of that um, tiebreak with Portland to get out of those playing games. You know, there's, there's a lot going on. Yeah, there's a lot going on. You, you, you know, all these games matter now. Like, i never seen it like this. Now, maybe it has been like this and I just don't pay attention to it. I remember fucking, like, Carlisle going over, like, you know, like, standings in fucking November. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, fucking standings now, like, worrying about games in November. This shit comes back to haunt you when you're coming, like, a game you, you might have, you know, shit fucked away in, like, third game of the year could cost you a tiebreak you know, and fuck you in the playoffs a little bit. So now I know why it's such an important deal. But yeah, so the Denver deal, uh, Bogues. So right now, Denver Clippers, they're tied right now. They both got a game left. Denver has the series two to one. Um, and Denver plays Portland tomorrow and the Clippers play OKC. So the Clippers could theoretically lose but if they, that has to happen donald sterling and fucking and their fucking owner now has to fucking play for them to fucking lose to okc i can't see that happening but you know i've seen crazier things so bomber and fucking sterling will have to be in the starting lineup tomorrow for that shit to happen but who knows if the clippers lose they you know they they will get the the lower seed for sure and i guess get get out of the way of the, the lakers which I don't know, Bogues. What do you think about that? Like, do you think you should give a fuck? Like, if you're the Clippers, do you really give a fuck what the Lakers right now, how they're playing and how they've been dysfunctional a little bit with the injury stuff? I mean, you know, what, what's your mindset there? I mean, uh, yeah, we, look, there, there, there's different mindsets. If you're in the bottom half of the playoffs, I mean, maybe you can adjust. Like, I know teams want teams that are five, six, seven, eight right now want 
or five six five six essentially, but they want Denver because of the injuries. So teams might intentionally try to lose down if let's say theoretically Denver moves up to three and you're in five, you're like, hey, let's get to six so we can get Denver. But I guess the good teams, they don't give a shit who they're playing. The Warrior teams that I was on, even the ones that I wasn't with Durant and Curry, and all, I doubt they were looking um, when they were the number one seed saying, hey, let's maybe lose, let, let's go number two seed so we can get a better 2-7 than a 1-8. They were on the mindset of like, we're beating the shit out of whoever we play against. And that that's a mindset thing as well. Look, there is a strategy, like you said, Carlisle, you know, coaches, that's more their job. But like the Clippers thing, it's like, you know, they can they can control their destiny, but at the same time, they're built to win a championship. So they should have that mentality of, we don't care who we're going across. So, I mean, there's two ways to look at it. I think if you're, like I said, four to eight, Maybe you can adjust it a little bit, but if you're one, one, two, three, I think you just take all comers as they as they present themselves. Yeah, sometimes when you're too cute with these, like you see it in the draft stuff happening with the tanking and not tanking and things, like you, you fuck around with this a little bit, you could get bit in the ass a little bit with, you know, like worrying about second round now, you know, instead of just saying, you know what, we're fucking pretty good. Like the Clippers are really good. You know, and they're not perfect. No team we talked about it before is perfect in the West or the East. But like, if you're worrying about the you know the Lakers now, you better you got a series to win before a couple of series to win before you even think of that shit. So hey, Pro, I don't were you know. in the were you in the G League? They had that rule where you could pick your opponent, right? Were you in the G League then? Where you could pick your opponent? What in, in the, the playoffs? playoffs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember that? It, there was something like no, I, I remember it, but I, yeah, the year I was in it, I don't think we had it then. I don't but think there was a, I'm pretty sure there was a rule where the the one seed, I believe the one seed could pick um, their first round opponent or something along those lines, right? Yeah, I, I believe that. Right? Yeah, the only reason why I bring this up is you triggered me to, to to think of this was there was a year where where the one seed picked a team and lost. <laughs> so <laughs> I can't remember who it was. Or there was something in the playoffs where they could pick their opponent. That's and crazy. The higher seed picked an opponent and lost the series. So it goes back to what you're saying. You got to be careful. Like some some of these teams that are like, oh, we want Denver because they got injury problems, and then they come out and whack you four one in a series. Then what? <laughs> like you got to yeah. be, you know, it's 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 kind of motivation material for some of these teams. So you kind of have to be careful with it, and and it could it could backfire on you. Yeah, I mean, I could see one way. Like if you're saying, you know what we don't even want to risk anything if anyone gets hurt fuck it we're just gonna sit them we don't care where we get seated but if you're looking at it like oh wait a minute we can get away from the clip you know lakers for a while like i'll tell you what i would rather play the lakers early rather than late if they get if they start getting you know getting moving no doubt yeah that makes total sense lebron's kind of underdone a little bit just coming back so he, he won't have his legs under him you'd hope ad hasn't played many games and then like you said, they get some form. You catch them in a conference finals, Clippers. Those guys are going to be, you know, played into shape and, and, and be playing better. Whereas in a first, second round, you know, you might you might steal that series. I totally agree. That's a really valid point. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. But yeah, we'll see. The fucking shit show continues, my man. Yep, and we'll see. We'll, you know, at time of recording, we don't know how these games are going to go. There's a couple more days left, and by next week, we'll do our hopefully do our playoff pre- previews and everything's kind of solidified. But an interesting thing I wanted to do some more homework, um, which which is which is good. But I wanted to go through the playoff teams, so the top ten um, are solidified. So that's one thing we do know pretty much. And um, I wanted to go through and give our thoughts on who are the most important non-superstars on each NBA playoff team to help them progress. So basically, it could be a bench guy. It could be a role player in the starting lineup. We're basically saying, you know, we need we need more from this guy or this guy need to play, uh, you know, can can change 
their fate in a series. And we're just going to go through each team here on paper and, and, and give our thoughts. So I'll start off. I'll start, we'll start with the Western Conference, the Dallas Mavericks. And, and your guy that you love, I know you love this guy. I've got um, Dorian Finney-Smith, I think, can have a huge impact on a series. He's only at 10 and 5 a night. He's 40% from three, which has been a huge improvement. You've got to thank Hoop Consultants for that one, I guess. But I think he's a guy- uh, That's that, Peter Patton, my man. Yeah. I, I, I think he, he he's, he's arguably their best on-ball defender, in my opinion. Um, a lot of length, really, really good on-ball defender. But that three ball getting the 40% is huge for him. It keeps him on the floor. At times earlier in his career, you couldn't, you know, he'd be hot and cold from three. But I think he's an integral part of their series, whoever they play against. And if he has, if 10 and five all of a sudden goes 12 and six, he's playing 35, 36 minutes and locking down their best player, they have a chance to win a series. Who do you have from Dallas? Yeah, he's going to be a huge factor for sure. I was going to use him, but I'll, I'll use somebody else, which is fine. But I, I, I'll piggyback on that, you know, with him, like, the shooting is fine. I mean, he's been consistent. Peter Patton is one of the better shooting coaches in the league. He's done a great job with him. Defensively, I think the problem with him is like he could guard almost anybody in his position. LeBron and Kawhi are, are two guys that probably give him the most problems, which, I mean, that's not saying much. I mean, that's that's most of the league. I mean, those, those are two guys that are almost unguardable. I think Tim Hardaway Jr. for them, really has to, you know, continue to step up and be that, like, you know, off the bench, give you 20, you know, 20 a night. Like, he really needs to step his game to be consistently scoring and shooting at a high clip to to keep them in. Because, as you know, like, you know, once you, you know, take Porzingis out of the game, Luca out of the games, somebody is going to have to really energize you off the bench. Brunson's pretty good, but, you know, Hardaway has been their guy that's really stepped up most of the year, and he's got to take his game to even a higher level if they want to get, you know, get out of if, – if they do face L.A. in the first round, if they want to get out of the first round. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think, I think Hardaway's a star. He's not a superstar, but I think consistency is his problem. So, yeah, I would agree. If he has a yeah. big series for him, they've got a chance. LA Clippers, I have Sergi Bucker. Now, he's been injured. He's been in and out of the lineup, hasn't played a lot. He's, he's, he's played the last couple of games in and out. But, you know, playing him in Toronto, he provides so much offensively and defensively when he's when he's when he's fully healthy and, and committed. And he's at 11 and 7 a night right now, 35% from three, but you know, you got Zubat starting, not a three-point threat, can help them as well. But you put Ibucker at the five, still a really good shot blocker when he wants to be, long enough to switch one through five at times and can hit that three. I think he needs to have more of an impact than he has in the regular season for them to, to go through, you know, and, and potentially win a championship. Yeah, the problem for me with him is I don't really trust he'll be healthy for the, I mean, he's just coming back. And I don't know, like 30 games, what is it, a back, right? Yeah, back, yep. Yeah, so Zubach to me is a guy that really has to show, you know, a continue to be a dominant force defensively, which I don't see him as a dominating defensive player, but he really needs to, you know, continue to attack, be aggressive, you know, and be somebody that could really just impact the rim and, is, you know, just keep, you know, protecting the rim, run the floor, roll hard, do the things that he's been doing, but even at a higher clip. You know, because obviously the on-the-ball guys like Paul George, you know, and Kawhi, like, you know, those guys are going to be fine there. But he really needs to solidify the paint, be that shot blocker, rebounder, screen setter, 
and to continue to be consistent, you know, I think if they if they want to make a long run. Yeah, and, and look, these, some of these will be guys that are, you know, injured and not playing a lot, but I think, you know, essentially they need to be impactful in some capacity. So I think a buck is a perfect example for me. The Golden State Warriors. So I've got Jordan Poole down. He's had, he had a hell of a game the other night with, when they, you know, the Warriors basically rested everyone and their kids. Um, but he, you know, he's 12 points a game. He's 35% from three, but he's a scoring punch that they're going to need off that bench. I think if he can have a series, they get through um, potentially just because it takes some pressure off Steph, takes some pressure off their starters, Wiggins and those guys. But I think Jordan Poole's kind of a guy that can potentially turn a series just because it wouldn't really be expected right now. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, he, he could be a he could be a good impact player for them and, and somebody that can come out of left field and really – you know, sort of give them a lift, you know, just taking some pressure off their main guys. I'm going to go a little higher on that and and go with uh, Andrew Wiggins. Oh, I, had I know I had, Wiggins, him. I had him on my list, yeah. bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Bro, he's like the most inconsistent, supposed of like borderline all-star player I've ever seen in my life. You know, he needs to really, you know what? Enough's a fuck enough. Like I got to show up and I got to fucking put a consistent effort and give them, you know, give them 20 a night, 22 a night, make my shots, you know, make an impact on the defensive end. But I just can't do it every third night. I got to do it every night. Like people want to know what it takes to be a really good player in the NBA. It's consistency. I can't take nights off. I got to get it. There's no fucking load management in the playoffs. Now, you know, especially if they're trying to get out of the, the the rut that they've been in all year and get out of that plan, he really needs to, for the first time in his career, really put up steady numbers throughout a, a playoff series. Yeah, and I had him at the start. The reason why I moved off is because he's a max player. He's on a max contract. So yeah. I was like, uh, he's kind of in that yeah. half star. So I, I, I had him. One yeah. one thing I'll give him credit for, he, he hasn't missed a game this season until they rested everyone. So he play, he's played every game. He shows up and plays every game. He just doesn't. He's not... Uh, superstar consistency level with scoring, but he's definitely a guy that you know. If, if they want to get through a series, um, they need him to fire. He's a max level player on the on the books. He's a fucking mid level player when it comes to you know stepping up. He needs to step up. He does. He does. Memphis. I had um, Grayson Allen. Funnily enough, I, I think they need more from him um, to get through a playoff series. He's kind of he's not a superstar. He's not a star, but a solid a solid role player. Um, mainly his defensive effort. I think it's it's. Early in his career, phenomenal. It's still pretty good, but now up and down a little bit. But I think picking up full court, the nitty gritty, the holds, the grabs, even the the leg the leg kicks that he's known to do. I think he just needs that. <laughs> he's the toughness guy from their guard unit that that's going to have to do the dirty work. He's he's ten points a game. He's shooting the three ball well at forty percent. But I think he's a guy that you know if he has a little breakout mini series, gets the fifteen points a game and causes a bit of havoc, a few fights here and there, and tries to cause some tussles, they can get through that plane and and potentially you know get through a playoff series. That's a good one. I mean. He's played really well. He's a guy that no one really knew if he was going to be a, a an impactful, productive NBA player because, you know, just just there's some question marks with him. And he's really, he's, I mean, you know, putting up like 10 and 3 this year, consistent player, you know, played in about 70% of their games. He's been good. I'm going to go with Justice Winslow. And I know he's been hurt most of the year. He's only played in about 26 games or so. But he's a guy that really, he's under the radar because he's been out most of the year you know, with injury and but he, you know, he could be impactful defensively. He can play hard. He's a strong kid. And I think he could really be that toughness X factor guy that could sort of propel them and maybe, maybe surprise somebody in the, in the play in and, and try to get out of it. Yeah, it's a fair one too. I mean, and they've got a lot of, they've got a lot of these kind of guys, I think as well, you know, Kyle Anderson, they've got a lot of guys that 
you know, if they have a series that aren't really expected to, they could they could potentially, you know, get to seven games or, or get through. The next one, uh, Utah Jazz. I got to go with my Australian. <laughs> Joe Ingles, he's currently at 12 points, five assists a game, 45% from three. He needs to fire for them um, more than he has in the regular season, in my opinion, t- to propel them. I think they get through the first, second round, obviously, but t- to get them to a championship potentially, I think they play really well when Joe has a night that's 15 and 8, 15 and 9, where he's, you know, he's a very, very underrated pick and roll player, very, very good handling the ball, makes the right decision. Slow mo Joe, he just takes his time. But I think for them to, to, to really get to that championship level, he, he's got to have a series. Now he's twelve and five, but he's the best true shooting percentage guy in the league. So statistically, he's like thirty-eight and eight. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> I forgot true, about that. Yeah. You know, he's go. king of the true shooters. But I, I like George's Yang here. You know, I, look, Joe's. I mean, Joe's a big part of what they do, and I, and I, I I agree with you. I think he needs to have a big series. But I think George's Yang right now, if he can, like, you know, he's a guy that's developed from some like a borderline NBA player to somebody who's making threes consistently and, and being a toughness guy. He's only averaging seven. But I think if he's a guy that could just consistently make shots when they're doubling off of, you know, Mitchell and, you know, and Bogdanovich and Conley, you know, and Ingles, like he's a guy that needs to be able to consistently make shots, rise his game to about an 11, you know, a, like a 12, 11, 12 points a game. And, you know, they're going to need some extra offense, especially when they go deeper into the playoffs. That's where I think they're going to have some issues. They're going to have to produce offense that's not Donovan Mitchell or not Bogdanovich or not, you know, not Ingles. They're going to need some other guys to step. Yeah, and and then the health of, obviously, the often room is the health of Mitchell and how much he can give him early on. The good thing is they have a lot of playmakers. They can kind of hide him the first, at least in the first round. But that'll be the elephant in the room. The next one we have the Denver Nuggets. I went with kind of... An old vet, Paul Millsap. I, I feel like you know he's he's been banged up a little bit. He's only at nine and five. hasn't hasn't really had a great year. He's paid a lot of money to be one of their better players, but he needs to, you know, he can be a very good defender at times. But he yeah, he needs to have a bit of a series now. Considering the injuries to Murray, they'll need Millsap to hit that open three because he's going to be the guy they're coming off when when Jokic is hot on that block. But he's going to be a guy that that um that I think. You know, if he can get from nine and five to some of his old form, where he's fifteen and eight, I mean, they they they'll they'll definitely have more of a chance. I'm gonna go Compazzo here, Facundo Compazzo, the the kid yep, from Real yep, Madrid. Yep. Without Murray, you don't know about the other guys injury wise, the health of Dozier, but he's a guy that's gonna really need to step up. I mean, he's probably gonna have to play some games, some big minutes. You know, he's or at least come off the bench and play twenty plus minutes a night. His first, you know, first. NBA playoff. I don't care what type of games you've played in. If this is your first NBA playoffs, it, it's it's definitely a change. And you know he's going to need to consistently make shots, consistently make plays, and and you know play defense on the other end. I mean, this is playoff basketball. It's a different component. So I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take the little fella. He's got dimes too. He's fun to watch. Yeah, no doubt. Next one, LA Lakers. I have Kyle Kuzma. Elephant in the room for them. He kind of, it's either him or Drummond when they lose games that cop all the shit, <laughs> I've noticed. Yeah. But Kuzma's at 13 and 6, 36% from three, just a consistency thing. You know, he's had games where he's had two and two in, in 35 minutes, and he's had games where he's, you know, had 27 points in 19 minutes, you know. So he's, he can fill it up really quick, but I think he's a guy that you definitely need more from in a playoff series, considering the injuries to AD and, and, and LeBron probably not being able to play 40. 
I'm going to agree with you on this one. Kuzma has been just inconsistent all year. You know, some nights he can give you 25 and he looks great. Some nights he can give you eight and just look like he didn't show up. And again, going back to what I said before, Wiggins, you got to, it's an every game thing, you know, to, to be good in this league. You got to show it every game, especially in the playoffs. LeBron might come out of the gate slow with his injury stuff. You, know, you never know. And they're going to lean on him. This is when, like, you're complaining about role and you know, I need more shots. I need more opportunity. Well, putting up good playoffs and doing it consistently every night and being that third, fourth factor for a team can be something that he can do to help himself. So I think he has to step up for them to go far, to go far in the playoffs. No doubt. No doubt. Phoenix, I have Crowder. He's, he's at 10 and 5, 10 points, 5 rebounds a game. Shooting the three ball at a good clip, 39%. But he's their toughness guy for me. I mean, Chris Paul's obviously a, a nitty-gritty tough guy, but Crowder's going to guard probably the best wings. If, they, if they're to advance, he's going to be on LeBron for, for portions and your McDonoviches and, and whatnot. So they need him to have not only a good shoot, shooting series, but to have a defensive series. So I, I feel like if he brings... Kind of what he's known for, really. You know, he's, he's a gritty kind of player, gets in your face, good defender. If he continues that great form and toughness, um, I think they have a chance to advance. Yeah, I'm going to go with Mikael Bridges here. Um, and I agree with you with Crowder. I mean, he's a big part of what they're going to do toughness-wise. But Bridges has been really good at times. He's been a little inconsistent at times. He's played in every one of their games. Um, I think he can be a big factor for them. I mean, obviously, Booker and Paul and Aiton are going to be three guys that are going to have the ball in their hands a lot, but he's going to have to show out. And, and you know, there's not, not every night, and they, they're going to put up game plans to stop Booker, stop Paul, and really put the ball in Aiton and Bridges' hands, and he's going to have to do something. I was going to pick Cameron Payne here, you know, because he's going to have to have an impact off the bench, but – I really think Bridges is going to have to step his game up even higher. I mean, he's been great this year. He's been really but good. I think yeah. he's going to have to – yeah, he's going to have to put up 19, 18, 19 a game in series to to really give them that push that they're going to need. That's a good one. Portland, I have Yusuf Nurkic. He's at 11 and 9 right now. I need more from him defensively mainly. You know, Portland's bigs are not – not great defenders um, at the best of times. I mean, Zach Collins is an energy defender, good, decent shot blocker, but he's injured. Um, your backup is, is is Cantor, I believe. So, yeah, I, I think he needs to have a series where the scoring I'm not worried about. They'll get scoring from your Lillard and, and Powell and McCullum. They've, they've got enough scoring. That's not the issue. I need him to protect that basket. I need him to give me 10 verticalities a night, a couple of block shots, a couple of physical hard fouls, and I need that nine rebound number to get to 12, 13, 14, 15 for them to have you know any chance to, to get to the next round. Yeah, here I got Covington. You know, to be more consistent shooting the ball. First of all, you can throw that whole roster in there as far as needing more defensive yeah. effort. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, like the whole fucking roster. Because that's that's their thing. Like you watch the game the other night. I mean, they're really good and they're really fun to watch offensively. Like ball moves, guys score. You know, they, they do it inside. They do it outside. They do, you know, Lillard just puts his head down and can score on anybody. But they don't stop anybody. And that's a big fucking problem, especially come playoff time. Um, but Covington, I think he needs to step his game up shooting the ball. You know, he's a guy that everyone covets as this big time shooter, but he's, you know, in night in and night out, 38%, 37%. He really needs to consistently make shots. They're going to take the ball out of Lillard's hands. They're going to take the ball out of McCollum's hands and they're going to just work the ball around to somebody else. And he's really going to, you know, he's going to need to be that consistent 
shot maker to, to put up 14 a game instead of that eight a game and really step his game up. Yeah, defensively like everybody else, but like Powell's gonna, you know, Powell will be good for them, you know, when they've taken the ball out of those two guys' hands. But Covington has got to really step his game up consistently making shots and to for them to really, you know, have a chance, you know, to to sort of advance. No doubt. San Antonio Spurs, I've got my Australian bias again, Patty Mills, currently averaging eleven a game, thirty-eight percent from three. When he has big nights off the bench, they win games. Um, when he has when he has a twenty ball, eighteen ball, three or four threes, when he fills it up, you know, and he's 20, 30 minutes on the court, depending on how much he plays, I feel like they're usually in games. So he's been in those big situations. He's made big shots in playoffs and final series, and I feel like if he, you know, if he comes out jacking and then and they're going down, they have got a chance to to, to advance. Oh, that's a good one. That's a really good one. I mean, he's so fun to watch, man. I mean, you know, he can light it up and, and sort of add some excitement to the game whenever he's in whatever game he plays in. I think Keldon Johnson, the young kid out of Kentucky, really needs to continue to step up his play. I mean, he averaged like 12, 12.7 and 6 a game for them this year. And I think he's a, you know, an exciting player, a really good solid role player, you know, that could score points in bunches, but he really needs to consistently make shots. He's really not a deep ball threat. You know, I think he's shooting it around 34% from three, 73 from the line. But, you know, for again, for them to win, they're going to need to continue to make shots consistently and score consistently. And I think Keldon Johnson is going to be that guy that needs to really step his game up to for them to have a chance. Yeah, and young, young guy, I think you will. This is his opportunity. So we'll move on to the East. So I'll start with Atlanta. I've got one that's a little bit out of, out of left field, but Lou Williams. I think he needs to get back to his bench production of of of, of you know what he was with with the Clippers uh, for them to to continue to you know get through the first round, second round. Um, he needs to be, he needs to be a little bit better. He's he's nine point nine points a game at forty four percent from three since he got to Atlanta. Not horrible numbers, but you know he was a problem in, in, in with the Clippers, and we we played them when I was with the Warriors in that first round where they they gave us a bit a, some fits considering it was a one eight matchup, and it was mainly because of him. You know he, he's really good at drawing fouls. He was almost an instant bucket, and he he needs to get to fifteen sixteen a night in a playoff series for them to be effective. Who you got? I got Tony Snell. I mean, he's down to 56.9 from three. The fucking guy can't hit water if he fought of a fucking boat. <laughs> he really needs to snow. No, I'm just joking. Lou Williams, I agree. Like, Lou Williams, for them to really have a chance. I'm a big believer, Bogues, going forward with you need that guy who can give you 18 a night off the bench to have a chance to go deep in playoffs because everything's going to be, you know, sort of predicated on on your starters scoring and scoring and scoring. But when you take those starters out for, uh, you know, for sort of big chunks of time, somebody's going to have to step up the load of scoring. And Lou Williams needs to be able to do that. He's, I don't know what he's averaging in Atlanta. I know he's averaging 11 on the year. Um, but like he really needs to be that consistent 18, 19 point a game guy off the bench for them to really make a splash in the playoffs. Yeah, and just stay out of the strip clubs and get some rest at night or two as, as well, Lou. Without question. Yeah. Chicken wings, right? <laughs> Shit. Yeah. I feel his pain. Boston, Marcus Smart, or Smart, as you say. Um, that's my Marcus guy. Marcus Smart, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, that's my guy. He's, he's 13.1. A night, five 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 odd assists, five and a half assists, thirty three percent from three. Now, 
I think he's three balls. Obviously, the elephant in the room needs to t- knock those down. But the reason why I picked him is the same reason I picked Grayson Allen on the Memphis team. Marcus Smart is one of your best defenders. He's the nitty-gritty toughness guy who might start a fight, um, wrestle, throw some bows. And, and I think you need that in a playoff series. And I need him to to shoot the ball better from three because he, he'll shoot him at – he'll shoot a lot of them when he's wide open at times. Um, but 33% needs to get to mid-30s, high-30s. But – He's a guy that can really affect that series, especially now the fact that Jalen Brown's done for the season. You know, Marcus Smart's one of the toughest players you know in the NBA. He's probably one of the more consistent guys as far as effort on the whole team that they've had in a long time. And, and I do agree with you. Uh, I'm going to go with Robert Williams here. You know, Williams has been that guy that's been a talented player his whole career, but never really puts it together for long stretches. And I think if you're going to make a name for yourself, like commenting the training camp and sort of everybody's sort of saying, yeah, this is the guy. You're going to have to put up some consistent effort and consistent play, especially in a playoff situation. No, no there, there aren't a lot of people that expect Boston to do much in the playoffs based on how they played all year. But for them to really have this chance, Robert Williams, I think, I mean, most of the game's perimeter-oriented. You probably pick a perimeter player for this, but Robert Williams really needs to be that X factor that can get – you know, they could protect the rim consistently, run the floor, you know, and, and really give that effort on the defensive end. I don't care about his offense. You know, it's sort of like the Tristan Thompson thing. No one cares about Tristan Thompson's offense, but defensively and rebounding the ball, he really needs to give them that edge and that toughness that they really need, you know, especially, you know, coming on that second unit. Yeah, similar reason why I picked Nurkic. It's the same reason. I mean, they need they need that, you know, that back line and, you know, Tatum at the best of times isn't the best defender. So, you know, his guy's going to go by him a fair bit. So having a guy back there to block shots and, and be physical helps. Charlotte, i got Miles Bridges, 12 and 6 a night, 40% from three. He's had some big, big nights for them um, where he's fueled it up very, very quickly. So I think he might even have a breakout series just because, you know, young guy starting to find his form. That They've got a pretty you know, young and balanced roster for the most part. And I think he's a guy that, you know, easily could have a breakout series and they could they could steal a few games. I mean, you know, some of these teams you don't see moving on much further than potentially the plane, but for them to have a chance to continue to be successful in, in a playoff series, he's, he's a guy that I look to. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Uh, Bridges is such a tough kid. He could impact a series with his toughness and ability to attack the rim and and score and, and do some things. Not really a, like a skilled player for me, but... Um, you know, he got, he got his three up to about a 40% clip this year. I mean, but I mean, he could really like impact you with his physicality and just been able to attack the rim on straight line drives and sort of change a sort of change the whole dynamic of a game or a series based on his physical play. Um, they don't really have a superstar. Rogier is probably the closest thing to one, you know, um, you know, obviously balls back and all, but. I think that uh, this kid could really impact them and, and sort of take his game to an even higher level and, and really help them. I agree. Yep. New York, I've got uh, Reggie Bullock. He's at 10 a night, 40% from three. I feel like he's had some big gains for him, but he'll have to have an even better series than he has numbers-wise in the regular season. The three balls, what he's going to butter his bread on, I guess, um, you know, with Randall taking attention when he's when he's hot and they double D Rose quickly, they got they got a lot of scoring threats there. Um, Barrett that he'll he'll be the recipient for some open open looks. He just needs to knock him down, and, and he's he's a pretty good defender. You know he battles down there. I think if he has a, a decent series, they could come out of that first round. Yeah, he's going to be a big factor. I, I I do agree. Like he needs to continue to shoot the ball, continue to be a threat for them. Um, I'm going to go with Alfred Payton here. 
you know, Peyton is a guy that's like sort of lost his way a little bit, was a higher draft pick early on in his career, really hasn't found consistency, um, still hasn't found it, but, you know, plays about 24 minutes a night. Um, I think that offensively he's not shooting the ball well under 30, but he's got to have to show consistent play. You know, everybody's going to center in on Rose and, you know, Barrett and, and things like that offensively, you know, from the perimeter and obviously Julius Randle too. But I think Peyton could really make a name for himself and make, you know, really help them if he could step his game up a little bit more and be a little bit more consistent shooting the ball. Yeah, that's a good one. That's not a bad one. He's he's a testament to him. He's battled back and, and got back into a rotation, was almost one foot out of the league at one point. So good for him. Brooklyn, I have Jeff Green. He's 11 points a night, 40% from three. The reason why I like him, I mean, I know they have Blake Griffin. Um, I know they have you know, DeAndre, some other bigs, but you know they've played Jeff Green at the five um, for stretches. Or Steve Nash has. He's very, very good at switching one through five. You know his knees still work, unlike Blake and a few of the other guys on the team. You know, and he's shooting the ball at a good clip from three. So I think you'll see him as a guy that can play multiple positions for him in a playoff series. And I, I know Nash likes going to that small ball lineup. So I think he'll be, you know, he'll be the recipient of a lot of wide open threes, a lot of easy looks when you've got, you know, Harden, Durant and Kyrie. There's always a guy, Bruce Brown's a similar guy as well, gets a lot of easy looks because of that. And I think Jeff Green's a perfect compliment to them. If he has, you know, one of those series where he, where, he, where he's knocking down three or four threes a night, I think they got a chance to get to that championship. I like the young fella. Actually, I mean, that's obviously, you know, Jeff has been a guy that really hasn't really shown out yet in his career. He's always given you flashes from Georgetown to Oklahoma City to Boston and the 88 other teams he played for. But, you know, he's he's a really talented kid that could give you a little bit of a dynamic of everything because he's he's big, he can handle the ball a little bit, um, he's athletic, you know, he could finish. Um, his jumper is a little inconsistent at times, but, yeah, you know, that's a good pick. I like Bruce Brown, the young kid. I, I think that, you know, he's been a, a pretty good surprise for them this year doing the things that he's done as, you know, as far as, you know, he's putting up close to 10 points a game, but he's a tough kid. He's a lunch pail guy that – just comes to work every day. He's not really doesn't really have a true position. He just plays hard, and and I think he, if he can consistently make a shot and give him some transition baskets and some you know defensive plays, you don't know the health of Harden, you know Irving Durant. Like you never know when he's going to have to be thrown in for even a, a bigger stretch of minutes. So I think a guy like that, giving him consistency, at least making open shots and, and transition and playing hard could could really help them, you know, going forward in the playoffs. Yeah, and kids out there and parents listening, watch go and go and get some clips of Bruce Brown and see what he does. You know, he's not the best three point shooter, doesn't barely even shoots him, to be honest with you, at the guard spot, which is kind of frowned upon today. And he just does good positive things for his team playing off superstars. So I, I highly encourage you to jump on YouTube. I'm sure there's some someone that's put a highlight highlight clip, even though they're just mainly cuts and layups, but he does a fantastic job of cutting off the ball and, and just being a great glue guy around those superstars. So I encourage you to watch those clips. Philadelphia. Now I have a guy that cops a lot of shit every playoff series, Danny Green. Um, you will almost be guaranteed that his name will be trending at some point in the NBA playoffs for having a bad night. Um, but the reason why I had him, you know, he shoots the ball at 40% from three, but, I, you know, he's one of their better defenders. they got obviously Ben Simmons and, and Matisse Thibel, but um, Danny Green's going to stay on the floor because he shoots the three ball so well. And I think he's your best, best defender when you correlate it with three-point shooters on the team. So he's a guy that can knock down the three and defend at a high level. Uh, he needs to have he needs to have a series to get them potentially to a championship. 
Who you got? Yeah, I, I had Danny as well. You know, he's a guy that really has been, I know he shot it pretty well this year, you know, as he usually does, but I think he needs to really, you know, show out a little bit more offensively. You know, they've, they've got their main, the main players and obviously Embiid and Simmons, you know, and, and Tobias and even Seth at some points, but he really needs to have a breakout playoffs to, for them to go deep. He needs to be that guy that can give them 14, 15 points a night. You know, consistently shoot the ball, give them defense, give them that two-way player that, you know, that could really help them. He's, his experience, his toughness, you know, you know, needs to show out and to, for them to go deep, I think. Yeah, it's a good one. I think he's a championship pedigree too. He's won uh, multiple championships, so hopefully he helps Philly. Washington... I have Davis Bertans off the bench, uh, 11 points a game right now, 40% from three. They paid him a shitload of money to go over there. Um, they need more from him um, in, in a playoff series. I think Westbrook and, and Beal, can, they are doing everything and anything for that team, um, but there's going to be games in a playoff series, in a seven-game series, if they get there through the plane that um, – you know, those guys aren't going to be shooting the ball as well or playing as well or foul trouble or injury, whatever. And he's kind of the elephant in the room and they've paid him that boatload of money. They need him to to have some of those, you know, 25, 30 point nights, which is the reason why they paid him. Um, but, you know, that's a guy that I think needs to step up for them to have a chance. Yeah, no shit. He fucking bent me over in this fucking, in, in my fantasy season this year, man. No, you know, <laughs> forget about the money. They paid him. I fucking, I made him like a sixth round pick. This motherfucker right here. No, but seriously, I agree with you. He needs to, and he's that guy, like, he's like a Matt Bonner, but with more athleticism and sort of, like, he's the guy that needs to consistently make shots, consistently be that sort of offensive threat for them if they really want a chance. Obviously, Westbrook and, and, and Beal, they're going to try to take the ball out of their hands. You know, Hachimura is good, but he's, he's you know, sort of, he's a young kid. Bertans has been around the league now. He's got to really step his game up. I mean, like they've given him a little bit of a pass considering the money he's paid and his production this year. He really needs to step his game up for them to have a chance to, you know, to sort of make some noise in that in, in that play-in series. Yep, Indiana. Uh, Indiana was a hard one because I don't know what the hell's going on there with their lineups. They've got a bunch of injuries. It seems like they've got massive lineup changes every other day. Um, I did have Brogdon, but I don't even know what his health status is. And then I checked his numbers. He's averaging 28 nights, so probably not the best non-superstar. So I went Doug McDermott, 13.5 points, 40% from three. He is a bucket, can get hot real quick. So much like our Lou Williams's and even a Davis Bertans, a guy that can come off and just give him a punch of scoring. If we can get to 15, 16, 17 a night, they get through that playing game. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you on that. Of Doug McDermott, like one of the better shooters in the league, a kid that just never stops moving. It's fun to watch. But, like, again, playoff game, you know, playoffs comes. This is where the game planning, this is where coaching really matters is in the playoffs. I mean, and, and the coaches are good at game planning. They're going to take the ball out of your best player's hands. You know, one night you'll be a superstar. The next night they're going to deny everything, and they're going to take the ball out of your hands and make, make force other people to make plays. And I think the ball is going to touch McDermott's hands a lot, and he's going to – He's going to have to give them more than what he's given him in the in, in, during the regular season, which he's given them a lot. But you know, he's going to need to step his game up even more to you know that you know late teens from thirteen and a half to that seventeen and a half, eighteen and a half, you know, clips at times to be able to really generate some more offense uh, for them to go forward. Yep, I agree. Miami, I had one that was a late pickup for Miami, kind of out of left field a little bit. Trevor Ariza, he's at nine nine points, five rebounds per game. 30, 35% from three, a little bit of an older guy, um, but he's been on some winning teams. He's 
been a fantastic role player for Houston at times. Really good defender. I think he's an underrated glue guy, and he's had some big games for Miami already. I, I feel like if he if he can have a series and, and really you know guard their be- the opposing team's best player at times, and then all of a sudden you bring on Andre Iguodala as well to provide the same role. I mean, I think it's a good balance, but I think Ariza in that starting lineup get his numbers to you know maybe maybe three or four threes a night and guarding their best player, he could um, he could definitely help them get out of a series. That's a good one. I, I do like that one. You know, just because you're right. I mean. You know, his veteran plays smart. He plays at a good pace. You know, he knows his role. But I'm going to go with Duncan Robinson here. Now, I know he's a role player and he's mostly a spot-up shooter and things, but he's going to need to give them a little more. I think at times he's struggled, especially later in the year this year for them. You know, I think they're going to force him to put the ball on the floor a little bit and just continue to do other things and sort of run him off the line and do some more things. I think for him, you know, he's going to be a big money free agent this year. And I think that people are going to be looking at him and evaluating him a little bit differently in the playoffs. And, and they're on a roll, especially later, you know, how they've been playing as of late. But I think for him to take his game to another level and to help them, you know, try to get back to the finals, I think he's going to need to step his game up a little bit more and give him just a little bit more if they're going to take the ball out of Butler's hands and, you know, you know, Bam's hands and things. The other reason I like Ariza is um, we can always just get him to pull up a chair outside the opposing team's locker room and just wait for the superstar player <laughs> after every game in the tunnel. So for those who don't know what I'm talking about, we, we touched on this I don't even know what podcast it was when um, Trevor waited for a, a teammate of mine after the after the game <laughs> in Dallas. Pro was there as well, and yeah, that's the toughness Ariza brings. He'll just wait for you outside your locker room. So he was waiting patiently, and he didn't get the job done though. My last one is the Milwaukee Bucks. Now I have Brook Lopez. He's at twelve point two points, four point nine rebounds, which that needs to definitely improve. Um, he's thirty four percent from three. Not a great clip for him. He's he shot better. The five rebounds. He's never been a great rebounder. Um, I felt like he was a bit more of an imposing presence in the paint last season with Milwaukee. I think um, he's still blocking shots okay. And but last season it seemed like he made a, a real effort of trying to rebound more and get down there more. But he's a guy that's gonna reap the rewards of. Giannis being doubled, of guys packing in, he needs to shoot that three ball at a good clip, but also needs to provide a rim presence and some rebounding um, at times where, you know, Giannis can't really provide that as much anymore and, and, and risk getting into foul trouble. So he's kind of my guy for Milwaukee to have a chance to, to potentially get to the finals, which is what they're built for. Yeah, it seems like they don't like posting him up. I know they're a big analytic team, but, you know, he's such a good low post and mid post player. I just don't know why you wouldn't go to him more, especially if they're going to try to take the ball out of Middleton's hand, Greek Freak's hand, you know, try to make it tough on Holiday. But, um, yeah, I, I'm going to go with Bobby Portis here. And, you know, Portis is a guy that has a lot of talent, a lot of toughness to him. He's a little crazy with those fucking eyes of his. <laughs> you know, it's like he's trying to hypnotize you or something when he's looking at you. But um, I think that he's a talented kid. They're going to need it somewhere else. You know it's going to be the same old story. They're going to they're gonna force, you know, Giannis to play the same way, wall him up and force him to make plays and, you know, you know show his consistency shooting the ball. You know, Middleton, they'll try to, you know, run off the line, take, you know, make him take tough shots. So the ball is going to lie in someone else's hands. Now I know Portis isn't a starter for them, but you know, I think that, you know, the minutes that he plays off the bench, he plays about 20 a night. 
you know, he's going to, you know, he's averaging 11 and 7, pretty efficient, but he's going to continue to to find other ways to score, find more ways to maximize his time on the floor. I think he could give them a big push. Yeah, decent one as well. And he's pretty pretty much the only spark they've got off the bench that can maybe, maybe change a game. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But they are a wrap of some role players or some non-superstars that we think can have an impact to help their team. So we'll we'll see how wrong we are or how right we are. Um, I assume all pros will be wrong as usual and mine will be Oh, right. fucking <laughs> all wrong. All fucking wrong. All wrong. But we'll see. Time time will tell. Moving on real quick, we'll just touch on the Hall of Famers announced. Um, we'll get too in-depth into these, but these are pretty obvious. Patrick Bauman from FIBA. Kobe Bryant, obvious choice. Um, the late Kobe Bryant. Tamika Catchings, Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, Kim Mulkey, Barbara Stevens, and Eddie Sutton. And finally, Rudy Tomjanovich. I can't believe he wasn't in there already anyway. But um, pretty pretty decent list there, pro. Yeah, it was really good. I haven't watched. Um, I started watching a few of them. The Barbara Stevens, she coached at uh, a Division II school in Massachusetts in Waltham, Mass. at Bentley College. She's an uh, unbelievable career she's had. Obviously, the Kobe, I haven't watched the, the MJ and the um, Vanessa speech with Kobe. But, um, yeah, the Rudy T was exciting. Tim Duncan, um, you know, it was all good stuff. Tamika Ketchins, it's been, you know, a good, li- a great list. It's probably one of the best classes that's, that's come in. Bogue and KG, of course. Um, Bogues, what are your, some of your sort of – sort of stories or recollections of like KG, Kobe, Tim Duncan, like, you know, do you want to share anything as far as the experiences you've had with, with any of those guys? Yeah. I mean, not, not too much off the court. I think, you know, Kobe gave us a game winner in Milwaukee and you, you just kind of knew, um, you just knew we, we, we played them really tough. They were the defending champs that year, I believe. So we were a young team just battling to be relevant. So whenever you played a, a championship team from the year before, you kind of brought it. Um, they used to get everyone's best effort and we, we were right there. We had control of the whole game. I believe it went to overtime and then, you know, he hit a, he hit a three um, and I was, I was boxing out under the basket, Gasol or Bynum and as soon as it left his hands, I'm right on the basket boxing out, and I'm like, "Yeah, this is going in nothing but net." And that was that was just Kobe. You just, just you just kind of knew. Um, and you know, we made the mistake of probably not getting the ball out of his hands. Looking back, but hit a very very tough shot. So that that was that. With KG, it was I got into it with him every game we played. You know, he was a passionate guy, fiery, <laughs> talk shit, um, and I'd, I'd you know we'd wrestle, we'd throw elbows, we'd I'd almost want to fight him every game because I I just didn't want to take a step back, and I knew he wouldn't, and he would he would try to mess with a lot of guys and and just see how they reacted. And I think deep down, he liked the guys that went back at him. I think he liked guys that um, that were fiery as he was. And I was one of those guys. And I think he respected me. I think my, my first couple of seasons in the league, you know, the international, you know, overseas, foreign white guy, he was, he'd go out, you know, to see. And I, I gave it straight back to him. And then he left me alone after that. So um, we had some good battles though. And I, I enjoyed playing against him and learning from him. I, I had his shoes as a kid. I, I had his poster on the wall. He, I was a big fan of the way he played. And then once I played against him, I absolutely hated him. So he, um, that means he did the right things, in my opinion. Um, you know, if, if you have guys that, that love you when you play against them, you know, it's probably not the right mentality. So they're probably my two, you know, biggest memories of those two guys. What about yourself? You know, those guys across the board with Tim, KG, Kobe, they're probably the la- one of the last classes of players you know, going in the Hall of Fame. Maybe you'll you'll have a few more that really changed the culture of the organizations that they've sort of arrived into. Kobe, it took him a little bit longer. Now, Kobe and KG didn't even start their first years. You know, KG, I think, started later in this first year. I don't think Kobe started until the second year or, or even a little longer than that. 
But those guys changed the whole complexity of their organizations with their work ethic, just their drive, their competitive nature. You know, KG in Minnesota, you know, Tim in, in, in San Antonio. Forget about the numbers that they have. They just sort of change, the, you know, just everything when they get to a place. You know, that's why Kobe, you know, I talked to Kobe a little bit about the whole Shaq and Kobe thing. And, you know, his biggest frustration is just Shaq didn't really work all that hard. And Kobe, all he knew was work. Now, you might love Kobe, you might hate Kobe, but Kobe every day was going to maximize every second of every day to make himself the best winning player that he could possibly be. And, you know, the one thing about him, though, folks, is he fucking hated everybody. Like, it's funny watching him later in his career and then into retirement, how he was this nice guy, friendly guy, um you know, wanting to mentor everybody. I had like two or three guys on the Olympic team, young kids, you know, ask me, hey, you know, can I work out with Kobe? I said, hey, don't kill the fucking messenger. I'm going to ask him, but you're not going to like what he says. And I, I would ask Kobe, I said, KB, this guy, you know, so-and-so wanted to work with you. He goes, tell him to go fuck himself. I'm not working <laughs> with that motherfucker. Like, like he got pissed because that's the edge those guys like, you know, it's hard enough to be an NBA player just to be in a guy that's, in, you know, in a roster every day. Forget about a starter. Forget about a borderline all-star, an all-star, a Hall of Fame five-time champion. You got to go to a dark fucking place to be that good. And I think that most of these players that are that good go to that dark place. And he was dark like when i worked for him and i loved it and i fucking loved it i you know that that's i i well thrives with working for a guy like that but you know he was a competitive dude man he respected like he respected westbrook a lot you know he was the toughest kid the guy that he's ever played for uh, played against he told me as far as a competitive stand uh, standpoint i don't think he said there isn't a guy that came at you that hard that fierce as that kid every night and he, he just never fucking stopped and rondo he respected his brain those are the two guys that, like later in his career that he respected now he respected guys but he didn't want to he didn't want to take pictures with them he didn't want like he might have been like all right with them like when he saw him but I'll tell you what, you know, he just hated everybody. And it just gave him that competitive edge to go out and try to destroy teams. Duncan, you know, the stories I heard of Duncan just sort of, you know, he's one of those guys that, like, he allowed Pop to coach. You know, in, in today's game with the player empowerment, a lot of the superstars not letting coaches coach and have to do everything their way. Like Duncan and Ginobili and Parker, those guys set the stage as far as letting Pop coach the team the way he needed a coach and Pop being the hard guy and the old school coach, he allowed those guy, him to talk to those guys in a rough manner at points, and he was fine with it. He was like a robot. I saw him at the Nike All-American camp in 1996, the top high school kids Nike brought in to play, but he also brought in top college guys, and he was one of the counselors. And the way he worked out and the way he approached it, he's always been the same. Quiet guy, got his work done, will bust your ass. And KG was just a fucking nut job, you know, in a great way. He would talk shit to everybody. He He's another competitive guy where Kobe was a little bit like introverted with his like hate and craziness, like for a you know being competitive, where KG would just like work himself up to a frenzy 
And he was a guy that Kevin McHale took under his wing early on in his career. And he listened. He allowed to coach. And, you know, he, he wasn't a guy who thought he knew, knew everything. He had, again, he had the skill. He had, the, you know, phys- physically he got stronger and, and he was imposing. But he also had the competitive nature and the work ethic to become great. And it's awesome seeing those guys all come in at the same time. It was a, it's pretty cool. I, I'm, I'm going to watch MJ, you know, MJ speech about Michael, I mean, about Kobe soon. And I'm sure that's going to be pretty cool, you know, watching that happen. Yeah, it's always great when when great players are celebrated. So, and then apparently there's some rumors of next year's class being 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 pretty good as well. So we'll, we'll watch that space. We're moving on to some comments from Mr. Griffin there in in New Orleans. He made some comments to the uh, to the referee, uh, well, to, about the NBA, about um, Zion Williamson being being beat up. Now Griffin's the, the GM there at uh, New Orleans. Basically, just said, look. Zion, he broke his finger or his hand? What did he break? Break his, uh, I think he fractured a finger. Yeah, so he basically just came out and said, look, referees, just let him get beaten up because he's such a physical imposing presence. You can get away with more. And that's kind of standard with most big physical guys. He gets a 50K fine and you brought this up to me and said, well, what about LeBron's comments around firing a dude for the playing games being a shit idea, you know? So um, we come back to say, you know, if if there weren't double standards in the NBA, I don't think the NBA would have standards. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. This isn't, this doesn't look great, even though it won't get covered a lot. It's look, I believe that the league is such a great thing, sort of in a perfect world, such a great thing. Best basketball players in the world. You know, you get these organizations, these teams, these coaches, but you, everybody's got to respect the league and the rules. So like, look, you might have you might have your sort of assessment of what the playing game is. You like it, you don't like it, whatnot. But like, you know, you're supporting the league. Now you could tell you could be in group chats. You could talk to your your friends, your team, whatever. But like publicly, you got to sort of support the league. And same thing with coaches. Like Griff knew he was going to get fined. Like he. he a, he wanted to, you know, wanted Zion to know he stuck up for him. B, he wanted to make, you know, make it a stink. And third, he was probably a little pissed, obviously, that his best player went down with the injury. You know, even though it's he's a really hard guy to, to you know, to referee because he's so physical. But that's not what we're discussing here. I think you got to protect the league. You got to protect the shield, and that's what you know the NBA logo. Like, you know, I don't care who it is. It, it, it could be the best player, worst player, best coach, worst coach, best GM, worst GM. If you're going to say words and you're going to find somebody, it's got to be the same thing across the board. Like, if the, you know, it's detrimental. Like, I didn't really take it that bad when he said that about getting fired in the guy. But still, you got a sort of a level of competency. Like, you know, this is what you set the precedent. Like, you know, anybody who talks bad about the league, we're going to find. But now with LeBron, you just sort of crickets. It's, you know, not that I want to see LeBron James get fined just to get fined. But when you're speaking out against the league and you have this, you know, if it was reversed now and, and, you know, the player got fined and the GM didn't get fined, there'll be a big fucking stink about it. Like Michelle Roberts, this and that. But like, I think that everybody has to be held to the same standard. If you want to really be, have the respect of, you know, viewership and people outside looking at and evaluating your league and people that want to, you know, paid for tickets and sponsor and whatever. I think you have to set a good example about, hey, look, look, we're going to treat everybody the same on this stuff. But, you know, no one's going to really talk about it. No, we will though. Uh, the next one I had is 
Just a quick few milestones. So Steph Curry is 83 pointers away behind Ray Allen's career record. So Ray Allen's career record is what do I have? 2973. So hopefully I have not been let down by Google this week. But that's that's the all <laughs> that's the all-time record. So he's only 80 away. Steph has played 600 fewer games than Ray Allen. So obviously we, we chatted about it a little bit. The game has changed. Threes are, you know, what everyone's striving towards. Get as many up as you can, but it's a pretty insane number. But I'll ask you the question. So Steph's theoretically at 2,900 right now. What number do you think you'll finish with approximately? Wow. He's at 2,900. 2,900 right now. And he's probably arguably got probably five more years left shooting a shitload of threes. Um, He makes about 400-ish, what, four, 500 a year, doesn't he? So Yeah. You know, I mean, maybe upwards of like... I would say, I mean, if he's playing, say, say he plays an average of 65 games or so a, a year, uh, depending on, you know, knock on wood with injury, you never know. So say he plays 70 games a year, five. So he, he makes what you said about 500 a year, 400 a year. Uh, I think 400-ish, yeah. I mean, he's, he's even if you said yeah, four, probably four, four a game, yeah. I mean, he'll get four. I think he'll get 4,000 easily, in my opinion. Yeah. I think I think he'll get 4,500. Can he yeah, get five? Say about That's the question. Because if, if he gets five, no one's ever breaking that shit. There's no no way, no way. I, I mean, even 4,000, I don't think anyone's going to break for a long, long time. But, I mean, I wanted, yeah. to, hit, I wanted to hit five. Just smash that record out of the park. Get Ray Allen, get Ray Allen at a distant second. <laughs> <laughs> he's ridiculous. The, the kid is a ridiculous shooter. I mean... You know, it's just there's a special, just a special gift to do, be able to do that with. Now, again, Ray Allen, like early in his career in Seattle, he had the ball in his hand a little bit, creating off the dribble, shooting the way he did. But like most of his threes were coming off pin downs and spot yeah. ups and transition. Yep. This kid's doing it with fucking eight guys draped on all over <laughs> him. You know, and did you see that? Clip? You know, did he, you see that still photo of? Uh- he just dribbled the ball over halfway. I'm not sure who they were playing against. And um, there was literally four defenders around him. And they had they had the Warriors had four, like Draymond trailing. The other three guys spaced around the three. And you have <laughs> four defenders like funneling Steph because they're just like, dude, like we're not letting you shoot the ball. Dude, he's was sick, a timeless, man. A timeless picture. But yeah, he's, he's been fun to watch. And yeah, interesting point about Ray. I mean, Ray, I remember him in Milwaukee too. He was he used to get to the bucket and throw down on people too. That's what people don't forget. Yeah. People remember Ray as the, the shooter in Boston and Miami. But you watch some clips from him. He was, he was jamming on people back Oof, then so no doubt one other one russell westbrook congratulations he, he broke oscar robinson's 47 year old career double re- all-time record um, russ is now at 182 so you know huge milestone i mean i, I don't think we, we ever see it beat but then again we said we, we didn't think we'd see oscar robinson's 47 year old <laughs> record beat and um you know, Russ has done that. So congratulations there. One thing I want to touch on health of the NBA team. So I saw an article basically said um, the NBA GMs, unorthodox and com- uncompressed schedule according to NBA GMs, the makeup games postponed due to COVID has led to a rash of injuries with several teams fearing player health has reached a boiling point. Hands down, it's the worst schedule I've ever seen in 25 years. An assistant coach veteran has mentioned, according to Elias Sports, 2021 All Stars, um, sorry, all, all all stats combined for injuries, games missed, 15% of games this season, the second highest rate in NBA history was 2014, 2015 was 16.8%. So sorry, this season's um, the second best, the second most. So it seems like there has been a lot of injuries. Another comment from NBA GM, every dumb soft tissue injury that can happen is happening and will only get worse. So we, we know it's a shit show and I guess that's probably going to be your sentiment as well. 
the COVID thing hasn't helped. There has to be make-up games when games are missed due to, due to teams having to lock down for 10 days, injuries, and it's not an ideal situation. But the, the injuries of 15% of players, um, it's pretty alarming. Yeah, it's, it's – folks, let's be honest. It's all about money. And, and look, I don't blame it. It's all about money. I'm not really like looking down in the league with this, but, you know, it, it's the schedule. It's all about the COVID stuff. And they're trying to get all these games in before the Olympics and trying to get some normalcy with, you know, the years coming, you know, the, the next couple of years as far as getting back to that normal schedule that, that they've always been accustomed to. But that's what, look, if, if this gravy train to continue to run, you know, and they want to respect the Olympics, they had to try to do something and fit Quick, it into yeah. the schedule. You, Yeah, you can't – look, you can't want the money. You can't say, look, we, we got to do anything we can to, to, to make this money, but we got to play with this schedule. You sign off on it. The players really didn't – I mean, the players complained a little bit, but it's not like they – you know, it's not like they picketed for it uh, against it and, you know, refused to play. They knew what was at stake, and it sucks. Don't get me wrong, but that's what they have to do to make this thing right. Sometimes you got to – Either like you got to all be in unified and say fuck it, we ain't playing, or you just got to say you know what, this is what we're gonna have to deal with for now. But yeah, you, I mean, look, before this pandemic even started, like you know, guys sitting out, you had all this like player load management and things. Nine hundred, you know, nine hundred people working for your team as far as you know, getting guys you know stretched out and you know massage therapy and, and training and all this stuff and you know try to you know prevent injuries but yeah the schedule is definitely not helping but what are you going to do like this is what you you know you're against you're against the olympics you're you're up against the wall with this trying to like get get a normal schedule for next year you got covid you know what are your thoughts like if you were playing what would your thoughts be about that stuff yeah i mean it's it's, it's a tough one because like you said that the players agree to this in their cba um we went through a similar thing in the lockout year in 2011-12 so our season didn't start till december 6th i believe we got called back and then we had two preseason games and then straight into the season the question was you know these are the ratios so if you play x amount of games you, you get this much money if you play this many you get this much and players were like yeah let's just play the max we want all our money and then that's when do you remember we had the that's when we had three and three night games so you had yeah up to three triple headers which was insane that was with travel too right so players agreed to it and then you know at the same time we're like oh this is tough but they wanted their money but I don't really see this as the players this isn't the players so much complaining it's the GMs and coaches because they've put together rosters that they thought would, would win games that have now had you know you look at Denver for instance with Jamal Murray they've had guys going down I think this is more the GMs and the coaches on the potentially on the hot seat losing jobs that are like holy shit like you know I put together a great team on paper and it's been dismantled by injury. We haven't been healthy. You know, don't fire me, please, owner. <laughs> that's what that's what I feel like was pointed considering that this was leaked, leaked by coaches and, and GMs. Yeah, the season's so long, Bogues, and that's why you can't get excited about what team you put together and how it's going to, like, you, you never know what you're going to face. You could have this great team you put together. You got decimated by injuries. Hey, look, you could get decimated by injuries in a regular 82 game, your regular, regular season, schedule. Yeah without this madness yeah i mean it's just it's it nuts it's it's a very it's a very random thing i don't think a lot of these injuries are just random that, that they could have happened you can't prove that it wouldn't happen if you know you played a normal schedule or not but hey look you got to take the good with the bad if you don't like it unify and 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 talk about it but if you look you put your name to it you can't complain after if it didn't work in your favor you're trying to maximize the money you're making. Everybody wants to get paid. Everybody wants to, you know, get back to normal. But this is what you're going to have to give up to do that. And hey, maybe you'll get lucky and not get hurt. But you know, some that's that's some of the risks you're going to take. 
Yeah, it is. It is. We'll watch the space. Hopefully, guys can. You never want to see injuries for anyone, even teams I players I hated, uh, teams I didn't like. You never, I never want to see an injury for anyone. So, hopefully, they can get healthy. Here's a good one. With our this one's about our favorite, not our favorite. I guess everyone's favorite team owner, James Dolan, New York Knicks. So, we're just gonna read this out. As NBA revenues plummeted amid a time of largely empty arenas. James Dolan has made a case for suspending the league's revenue sharing requirement for the year. If the Knicks and Lakers were not profitable profitable in a pandemic year, why should they still be required to pay out-of-pocket expenses for small markets? Dolan pushed the case on a board of governors call and included some small market owners siding with Dolan amidst a few others. It wasn't a majority though. Now, I actually agree with him. I agree with him. Um, he makes a valid point. Like the way the league works, for those that don't know, is that the big market teams, your Lakers, your Knicks, so on and so forth, they make more money because their TV deals with their local market are insane. They just make more money. They then trickle down portion of their profits to these smaller market teams who obviously, you know, if you're playing in Milwaukee, your TV deals an iota of what the California-based Los Angeles Lakers are. Um, so they have to, you know, kick back. But the fact that they're not in a profit this season or barely are, should they be trickling that down to small market owners this year, Pro? What do you think? Uh, that's a tough one, Bogues. I think that they, look, whatever deal you sign up for, you know, regardless if you're going to make the money or you're not, look, if you can't take getting your ass kicked a year or two as an owner, don't be an owner. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and I do, I, I understand what he's saying. You know, look, like things change. Why do I have to really – you know, why do I have to deal with this if I'm not making the money? It's it's easy. Look, just raise cable fucking three cents a month. You'll be, you'll you'll make the money plus. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, but I get what he's saying, folks. But these fucking teams, you know, they're they're like worth almost ten times what they what they were bought for. These these I mean, these things are tremendous fucking assets. If you could just make them, you know, make them fucking, you know, the capital calls every year, you know, to to pay your bills, and you could sell it off for a huge profit. And yeah, if you don't like it, sell it. Yeah. Yeah, you don't like it, fucking sell it. The guy's worth eighty kajillion fucking dollars. Look, I'm not never gonna work for the Knicks, so I don't give a fuck about saying it. Like, like sell it. But I get it. Like he's just he, he got his look. If the Sacramento Kings, quote unquote, lost a hundred fucking million, you know, what do you think they lost? You know, with the Knicks or the or the Lakers? Like, you know, compared to like what they were making in the past. Yeah, everybody's getting their ass kicked. You just gotta you gotta deal with it, and you know. Hopefully in a couple of years, everything will turn around again. And like I said, raise cable, raise Showtime another fucking 12 cents a month. He'll be all right. I think there's two sides of this argument though with the revenue sharing model, touching on that a little bit. Yeah. I, mean, I think it's important because you have to help those small market teams. But I was with, when I was with the Bucks, I think the problem with this revenue sharing is it can make those small market teams complacent and it can make them not forward think as much as they need. Meaning that we didn't really see a lot of innovative turnover when I was in Milwaukee. It was the same people doing the same stuff. And and look, don't get me wrong. Some of them were doing a fantastic job, but nothing was really changing. We weren't you know, doing anything different social media-wise or TV-wise where I felt like a small market, you got to kind of take some more risks, right? So I felt like at times those small market teams are like, let's just tread water because we're going to get a check from the Lakers or the Knicks. So I think it you know, there's a fine line there. Um, and there are some teams that do that. You know, Donald Sterling, even though that, whether you classify the Clippers as a small market, they were notorious for just paying the bare minimum for rosters and, and, and whatnot. And I think that's where sometimes there is some frustration from these 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 big market teams. Is there's some small market teams that, you know, they're just they're just doing the bare minimum. They're not really forward thinking. They haven't hired great people and, and they're just running it like a, a small time business. So there is some frustration there and I get it, but 
you know, at the end of the day, for those small markets to have 30 teams playing, the big dogs are just going to take a shit sandwich every now and then. Yeah, the big dogs going to fucking ravage their ro- the small market rosters in free agency like I ravage a fucking pizza every two nights, actually, <laughs> every night. But anyway. That's a very fair point. Yeah, so it's like, you know, the, the small market teams... You're right. They're gonna they're gonna be the redheaded stepchild for the for the big market teams as far as funding you know funding a lot of what they do. But you know, look, there aren't many small market teams that really compete because of the fact that they they're not in really great destinations. They're not really winning. They can't really spend like the big dogs do. Hey, look, if if the, the worst thing is gonna happen, they're gonna be you know. They're going to be welching off you. Who gives a fuck? Like, just pay it up. It's fine. Like I said, if you don't like it, sell your fucking team. That's it. No doubt. And, and one, one interesting thing I, I found that there were actually some owners that agreed and that voted with Dolan. And the reason why I bring this up is because it reminds me of a certain owner out there who sided with not taking Donald Sterling's ownership off of him. We'll just leave it at that, bro. Oh, no shit. Yes, 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 yes. Still still, still <laughs> working today. He's, he's quite vocal out there in social media world um, with, with some of his takes. So it is, uh, it is very, very interesting. Moving on, NBA Top Shot, you sent me this, which was pretty interesting. A new lawsuit, Pro, charges that the sale of NBA Top Shot moments violate the Federal Securities Act of 1993, a law designed to both safeguard investors from the purchase of public offered securities and deter fraudulent acts in the marketing of those securities. Dapper Labs, a Vancouver-based blockchain company that has partnered with the NBA, and its CEO, Roham Gada Goslu are accused of illegally selling unregistered securities. The company, however, has a number of defenses that it can and will likely offer. Now, I guess the case is awarding of significant damages. A lady is suing to to her and her would-be class members, a group that would feature a large number of allegedly manipulated buyers. Uh, so I guess they're bidding, bidding up these things. Um, people that lack technical and financial sophistication necessarily have evaluated the risks associated with the investments in moments and were denied information that would have been contained in security registration materials. In the lawsuit, Dapper is portrayed as unlawfully devising a deceptive marketplace for the sale of NFTs that feature LeBron James dunks and other attention-grabbing NBA highlights. An owner of a moment the complaint asserts, does not acquire any intellectual property rights or rights to the underlying NBA highlight. Meanwhile, the complaint charges Dapper exploits investors by selling digital packs of moments with pricing based on scarcity, with investors having to wait in a virtual queue to buy. It's also accused of preventing investors from withdrawing their funds for months on end. That's a bit of an issue. And propping up the market for moments as well as overall valuation of NBA Top Shot. Similarly, the company is depicted as highly restrictive in the sale of moments, with owners relegated to selling on a secondary market where Dapper receives a 5% transaction fee on the second-hand market. So, look, you get what you pay for. This was a FOMO moment, I believe. I think these people have probably been burnt. They've bought something at a high and they're trying to sell it, and now it's at a low, or you know they've lost money. You're buying, you're buying something that's not rare. You're buying something that can be made. Um, when you compare it to Bitcoin, it's no comparison. Uh, Bitcoin is numbered. Bitcoin is there's only so many made. Once it's all out in 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 our society, there's no more. This anyone can make another highlight the same as yours. And I think people are starting to realize. And it'll be interesting to see where this where this court case goes, pro and the fact that they're in court and they are a major sponsor involved with the NBA. 
Yeah, stop buying, stop paying seventy five thousand for a fucking Alex Caruso a fucking free throw, and that shit won't happen. <laughs> I, I don't have any fucking idea how this shit runs, Bogues. Like, this is a complete fucking scam to me. I have no people are making money off of it. It's like fucking allegedly. Know, it's allegedly would, a scam. I don't want any lawyers. I don't want any fucking lawyer letters from anyone listening. It's allegedly. That's a, scam. a good point. That's a good allegedly a scam. I, not a scam, but I have no fucking idea. Like, you know, you. you I, I understand it. That like you're just buying these clips and whatever. It's basically just like buy, sell, and what the market and mm. you know you 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 got to sell high and all that shit. But like you know, it, it reminds me a lot of this shit that's happened with the cryptocurrency, where like you know, like Elon Musk, what he's doing, manipulating the prices of it yep. and, and things. I'm I'm not a I'm not a fucking expert at that either. Let's let's you know let's put that out there right away. But you know, this stuff is crazy, man. Like the amount of money that people are buying for these clips and then trying to sell them. I mean, a lot of people are making a lot of money. I don't think I don't think eighty percent of the people understand a fucking thing about it. I think that you know, same thing with the cryptocurrency. Everybody wants to be a fucking expert on cryptocurrency this week. Next week they'll be in the marijuana game. The week after that they'll be in fucking mortgages. They have no fucking idea that they're just going on fads. And you can get really fucking burnt with this shit, you know, if you don't know what the fuck you're no, doing. No. And yeah, I don't feel bad for them at all. You know, know what the fuck you're doing before you you, you get into this shit. Like I said, 75 grand for it's an- fear of missing out. That's all it is. Yeah. That's all it is. It's everyday people that get affected by this. With with all investments and all FOMO, fear of missing out for those that's abbreviation. Um, it it's basically people that are trading these have a lot of cash where they can sustain a blow of five hundred thousand million dollars, whatever it is. Even some of these some of the digital art movie. Now you can get Picasso digital art in millions of dollars. These people have so much cash that they can sustain a loss. They can they can drive up the market and then they can sell. Even if they take a loss, it doesn't matter. The people that are affected are the FOMO people every day. Oh, did you hear about this? By the time you've heard about it, it's gone. The, the value in it to make money yeah. is gone. So do your research. Don't buy just because everyone else is. Um, and once you've probably heard about it, if you're, you know, unfortunately, if you're a regular Joe, you know, local mechanic, you know, local local waiter and you've heard about it, it's already too late. Um, so be very, very careful um, in saying that. With our, with our Luck Pro, Top Shot will be worth $10 billion by next week. <laughs> but, oh, right uh, after I said this, it's definitely going at $3 trillion. <laughs> and After I said this shit, it's going at $3 I'm opposite of Elon Musk. Like, that shit goes down when he goes on Saturday Night Live. I go on Rogue Bogues. Shit goes up 9,000% if I go against it. So, <laughs> fucking Lawndale's, Lawndale's going to be 30 and 30 in the NBA by next year. Fucking Mo Bamba, Carl Malone, you know, they'll both of those fucking guys we've been watching them in the fucking Hall of Fame ceremony in ten years <laughs> based on my evaluation. Yep. Yeah. Hey, before we start, can we go over the fucking guy that's selling our fucking selling the jerseys with the fucking pizza jersey and the rogue oh, boats yeah, jersey? Yeah, yeah, Shout out to at I think it's at at Sydney Sea King. So the Sea Kings Pro, it's from there's American commentators when they talk about NBA NBA NBL players that are now in the NBA. They they mentioned um a couple of years ago they said live on air, oh he played for the Perth Bandits, and that's not I think that's a base a minor league baseball team here potentially. Um Perth Bandits. I don't right. even think they exist. It's a Perth Wildcats. So some guy made jerseys, made a whole Twitter account, and now they did it with the Sydney, they called us the Sea Kings. Um, I can't remember who it was. So now this guy started a parody account. And for those that haven't seen it, at Sydney Sea Kings on uh, Twitter or Instagram, he's made he's made a, a jersey for me, which which has the Rogue Bogues logo and a bit of my heritage, and then made one for Pro. And, and his his design has a <laughs> has a bunch of pizzas on it, <laughs> which is pretty funny. 
fucking that is pretty fucking funny i mean you know it has my face on it asking zero permission you know good luck to him but uh, it's fucking awesome and i hope he sells fuck if you sell one you, you're fucking it you're, you're ahead of the game but uh, <laughs> yeah we might get one one day maybe you could trade it for a fucking a $75,000 free throw oh man yeah tough shot jeez <laughs> Good times. Thanks for that, Sydney Sea Kings. Yeah. We saw it. Gave you a shout out. So keep them coming. Useful or useless stats? I've got two here. One's, I think one's really useful. This one. Kevin Garnett will be inducted into the Hall of Fame today. Garnett is the Timberwolves' all-time leader in games, points, rebounds, assists, blocks, and steals. He's the only current he's the only player to lead a current franchise in all those categories. Crazy, right? Fantastic. Yeah, crazy, but fantastic. Like you know, that just goes to show that he, he just brought it every night because they did win. Like they weren't, they weren't great in the playoffs, but they were good. You know, they made the Western Conference finals once, but they, you know, they, they weren't really a deep team playoff, but like he brought it every fucking night. And, and to have, I don't care what you do. If, if you're, it's not just like he led him in scoring and that's it. Like that just shows you what he did on a night to night basis. And again, if these people who want to be great at any level, like, Guys like KG that brought it every night, regardless win, loss, or dr- win, lose, or draw, fantastic to watch. It's a great stat. I I got no problem with that, man. That's that's definitely useful. Very useful. What stat. do you think, Bose? Yeah, very useful stat. Awesome. Like you love, you just like holy shit. Every every category. Um, that was from ESPN stats. So they got a good one out there, and I really liked that one. So that was a good one. A funny one I saw at Stat Muse. Udonis Haslam per 36-minute stats this season, <laughs> 48 points per game, 12 rebounds per game, 100% field goal percentage. He's averaging one fight per minute this season, bro. I love that dude, man. He, did you see him with Dwight Howard the other night? Yeah. It's fucking hilarious. Just an angry old man. Just yeah. He's like me. I mean, like, just, just comes out there, hey, man, I just want to you know, get through this game. I don't want any bullshit. And then within the first 30 seconds, gets involved in some bullshit, just loses his shit. He's like, ah, oh, fuck this. I'm not taking it. <laughs> dude, I watched him in high school. He was... He he had Steve Blake, you know, played in the NBA a while. He he Steve was on his team, and they, he had like they had a great team from Miami Senior High School, uh, coached by Frank Martin, that's the head coach of South Carolina now. But um, I, I remember him in high school, and look, he he hasn't been able to play in an NBA game consistently for like three years. But that just goes to show you, man, what he brings every night. But those per thirty six fucking minutes, that's I hate them. They're the worst. They're the fucking worst. Like, it's like, well, you know, like me, like if I, you know, if I didn't eat 12,000 calories a day, I'd fucking be skinnier. No shit. But I don't, and I'm not, like, they don't play 36 minutes. I don't understand what the fuck they're doing. Like, but again, you know, people love stats. They love things like this. Oh, well, if he played 36 minutes, look what he'll do a night. Well, why the fuck isn't he? Like, that's the first question that should be asked. Forget about these per 36. Why the fuck isn't this player playing 36 minutes? And do they ever have a chance to play 36 minutes? But they have these stats, which I love this. He's 48 and 12, shooting 100% from the field per 36 is great. But uh, no. I highly doubt your coach is hating on you if, you, if you're going to put up those kind of numbers per 36. My guess is there'll be eight turnovers thrown in there. There'll be 15 blown defensive assignments. There'll be forgetting plays. I mean, there's a lot of guys out there that get in in garbage time. And, and yeah, they're, they're per 36 is insane because they're playing against the second unit of the other team that just don't want to get injured because they're up 30. But you put them in a game where, where it's close and it matters and, and a, lot of go- a lot of those guys struggle. Well, my hatred for per 36, we talked about this for three minutes. From one to 10, my hatred to fucking per 36 is a thousand. So multiply that by 12. So my per 36 numbers for fucking hated 
per, per 36 numbers is 36,000 out of a 1 to 10. <laughs> so, fuck per 36. Yeah, useless stat. Useless stat. But I just thought that was a funny one by StatMuse. Yeah, for ob- sure. Obviously, it's, just taking the yeah. piss out of, out of stats, which, which we like to see because they do some serious ones as well, but they're essentially taking the piss out of themselves. Fact or fake news, what do you got? All right, Bogues. First one with the whole play-in, all right? The 9-10 the teams in the play-in, will at least one of the 9-10 teams gain an eighth seed in the playoffs this year. Oh, wow. So I had a quick look. In the East, Boston looked like the this, they've, they've got the, the, the seven. So right now, yeah, it's going to be Indiana and Washington maybe. Yeah, well, Charlotte, in the Charlotte, Washington, Indiana are tied right now for – you know, eight, yeah. nine, ten, and then in the West we have the Spurs are a lock for ten, um, and then you got the Lakers at seven, uh, seven, possibly six, and then you got Golden State, Memphis tied for eight, nine. So okay, so let's just say that um, Washington, Indiana, are, are nine, ten. I, I think the one team I would pick from the East would be potentially Washington. I think they could get through. They could arguably get through um, Boston or Charlotte. If they go through Indiana, or they could shit the bed and lose by thirty. They're that they're that hot and cold. Um, in the West, I think it's Golden State. Yeah, I think Golden State's the one team that I could see if they if they fall to that nine ten, which we don't know yet because they're tied with Memphis. If they fall to that nine ten, which is why the, when they rested guys the other night, I was like that was interesting because um, I thought I thought they want to move up to eight, but looks like they don't. They want to they want to play the Lakers. I think sorry that they, they want to move down. I thought they want to play the Lakers, but yeah, I would I would say the Golden State Warriors. On um on that side, if they go not if they go to ninth. So do you think at least one team will get that yes, one I'll team sorry, the fact. nine ten? Fact. Yep. Fact. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I go to fact too because I'll tell you what Washington and or Memphis on the other side, you know. Now I get you with the gold the whole Golden State thing. I totally get you there too. But I'll tell you what, man. I, I would not want to play. I would not want to play one of those two teams, man. Washington. They're hot as they're hot as hell right now, and then you know Memphis the way they play they play hard, you know I think and they're young and they're hungry and they're all playing together and it looks like they're having some fun. I could see I could see fact I could see at least one of those teams advancing to the eighth seed, which will mean they're going to get swept and they're not going to fucking play and they may not make the playoffs for another decade because <laughs> I think they might win. Nah, I agree. So here we go. These fucking lists, man. They fucking get everybody in trouble. Recently, Jeannie Buss put a list out. This is smart. This is a fucking genius move. Put a uh, list out of the five most important Lakers. Magic, Kobe, Kareem, Phil Jackson, LeBron. Missing on the list was Jerry West, West, which he got completely fucking pissed about on a podcast. And he's an emotional dude. And, you know, um, anybody who's seen him or been around him or heard stories about him, you know, he, he I mean, he's big into the Lakers success. And he felt as though he should have been on the top five. Do you agree with this list of those top fives? That top five of the again most five the five most important Lakers of all time: Magic, Kobe, Kareem, Phil Jackson, and LeBron. Fake news. I mean, I'd even go one further. I'd 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 get LeBron off that list and put Shaq in. There you, you go. You know, yep. but it's it's just funny how okay, let's let's include a coach <laughs> just so we can we well, can we can burn out Jerry West. Well, hold on, let's include a coach. That I had a relationship with. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe yeah. yeah. There you go. There you go. But um, yeah. I mean, Jerry West should be in there as well. I mean, I would have Magic Kobe. I would have Magic Kobe, Kareem, 
Jerry West and Shaq. That would be my five. You know, obviously a coach is very important, but the, those five players are all time. I'd have LeBron right there after that with Phil. Um, I don't think LeBron's been there long enough. Like you can't compare his Lakers career to Shaq's or, or Jerry West. And I think the Jerry West thing was the Clippers tax. No doubt about it. He got tax. He got a tax for being with the Clippers. That's a no-no. If if you're if you're a Hall of Fame Laker or or a big time Laker and you do anything to do with the Clippers, think about how many guys have been involved in that. But, but Magic was also involved with Clippers for an extent, wasn't he? Didn't he do something? Was it a long, long time ago? Wasn't he doing some advisory? No, I don't think so. I think he was. No, nah, he he coached for the Lakers after he retired. Um, he coached for like three games and quit, and then he. He had so you know he's an owner and obviously okay, the GM and he left. I, I don't he think he maybe there was some rumors then possibility of a minority ownership, but I doubt it. I don't think so. I think he was it might always have been rumored. Yeah, it might have been rumored. Um, didn't happen, but yeah, I, th- I think he has a point. He has a point. Like she's just yeah, that's that that's spilt milk for sure. And yeah, I'm, like the list, like you said, get you in trouble. But it is what it is. First of all, if you start a list right now, playoff time, you got to put LeBron on it because of the fact that if he's off of it, you know how it's going to be. Why isn't LeBron on? She doesn't like LeBron. The Lakers are, you know, Lakers don't respect LeBron. And then you got to deal with that fucking fiasco. Like recency bias as well. Yeah, yeah, I hate these fucking lists. These lists are fucking ridiculous. But Jerry West is one of the top, you know, shooting guards of all time. Won a championship there. And then what he did probably, I mean, what he did as an executive is probably like, you know, it probably rivals what he's done, you know, probably rivals what he's done as a player. I mean, he was instrumental in getting Kobe there. He was instrumental in the Shaq trade, you know. The role I mean, players I, he put I, around I, I just, him? What about the role players he put around The role him? players. Robert Ory, Derek Fisher, you know, even even yeah. Mad Dog was, was integral in certain certain parts for them, like as a culture guy. Like he put... He put together a perfect roster around those superstars. Yeah, and and now you know, look, Phil was great for them in 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 certain regards, but like the team they had, you know, like I hate these fucking lists, but like Shaq played there for like nine years. He won three chips. I want to say what he he won three championships and dominated for them, and he ch- put them in a different direction because they weren't going in a good direction before he got there from Orlando, and like. Totally put them there. And Jerry West is just, he's a fucking logo. He spent his whole career there. He did What he did as a player and as a GM, I don't give a fuck about these lists. You know, you can shove these lists up your fucking ass. I can't stand them. But, hey, look, that's her opinion. And it's not like whatever it is what it is. But that's why these lists can get you in trouble. You got, you know, but it is what it is. Everybody's got an opinion on this stuff. But I, I just think these lists get you in fucking trouble. Okay. You know, is all. NBA schedule, third. The NBA schedule will return to normal next season. Now, what is normal to you? Meaning starting in like October, pre, yeah, training pre, camp. Yeah, yeah. so basically pre-COVID. So let's say whatever the year was before COVID. So 2018, 19, okay. 19 season or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, 18, 19 was the last normal season. So back to back to normal. Everything's the same. Um, you know. Yeah. I mean, what do you think? I mean, for me... I think I think I think we're fake news. I think it's still gonna we're still gonna have lingering effects of this for another year or two, in my opinion, at least. To what extent, I don't know. But the last thing the NBA can do is open things up back to normal, have all that travel, all that risk, and then something happens. So they'll probably. I mean, it would have surprised me if they did something like a month by month to start the season, um, just to tread water to see how things are going, um, rather than actually locking it all in. So I want I want it to return back to normal, um, but I don't think it will for for next season. What about yourself? I think there's going to be a lot of pressure for them to open this up to normal. Now, try to get to normal and maybe they'll change it like you said. But 
I'll just go just to, I'll, I'll, I'll argue the other side of this just for, you know, shits and giggles on it. I, I do think that, you know, a lot of owners will probably want, you know, because of the revenues and things, and then they, they want to stretch out the schedule to 82 games because of the revenue plus the, the trying to get some normalcy as far as like you know, limiting the back-to-backs, you know, where they did so many of them this year. Um, I think they'll they'll try to go to normal, and I think they will be normal. Now, does it finish normal? I don't know. Um, I'm going to say it starts out normal, though. They're going to, you know, especially with them ending where they're going to end, I think they're going to – they'll, they'll – they'll, my opinion, they'll have an 82-game schedule, but I have no fucking idea. But I'm just going to throw it out there that I think they will, which means they're going to have a 12-game schedule next year. <laughs> All right. We'll watch that space, but let's hope. Let's hope the world gets back to normal first and then the NBA can follow. Q&A. Hey, Bogues, listening to episode 19 of the pod now. We're talking about the Olympic team and who you would select for the Boomers to go to Japan. Dante Exxon. Oh, shit. No, nah, not you this time. Dante Exxon was mentioned as a cut, and it uh, got me wondering, do you and Pro think he would get another NBA contract, or is he done after his shocking run with injuries ever since he was drafted? If he sticks around the NBA, who would sign him? If not, where does he end up? Europe, NBL, G League. Enjoying all the Robo's podcasts. Keep them coming. Cheers, Dan. Look, I think he'll stick at the end of his contract. It'll probably be on a vet min deal. He'll have to kind of reestablish himself. That'll probably be the path that he'll have to take. But he's had a horror run with injury. Can't stay healthy. Hasn't really shown... He's showing glimpses in Utah of what he can do when he's fully healthy and everything's going well, but I don't think there's still still a bit of intrigue with him. But in my opinion, the intrigue will lead to a vet min deal or two uh, or a minimum deal. And if that doesn't work out, then obviously the NBL or Europe or or G League um, will follow. But yeah, I hope he gets healthy. He's a great kid. He's a really really good kid. He's had he's had a bad a bad run of injuries. Um, he just kind of he has to persevere through it and try to get healthy. What about you, Pro? What do you think? Folks, you know, in my experience being around the league and being around it for a long time, you know, with teams, I think they're, they're sort of like a sewing circle. Everybody sort of like thinks about these players in the same regard, especially when a player has been hurt a lot, you know, injured a lot, hasn't been able to put a real full season together in a while. And I, I think that like right now he's a vet minimum player and I think he'll continue to be. He needs to go to a bad team. Well, which he's on right now, but he needs a team that he could play. But the problem is, like I told you, you know, I see this, say this all the time. It's like an aging prom queen. No one remembers Dante Exum as the draft prospect, you know, five six years ago. They think of him as a broken down player who can't stay healthy, that they can't really rely on to play minutes. Even if he's on your roster, you don't really give him a. You're not going to give him a fair shot. You know, you're going to play your young guys. You're going to play your better players. And, you know, the only thing that could help him is there's a lot of injuries and he gets an opportunity and he, and he plays well. I mean, look, Gerald Green got chased out of the league early in his career. He's a high school kid that got drafted by Boston, didn't, you know, got traded a few times, got out of the league, um, and then came back to really have, you know, went overseas, went in the D League overseas, and then ended up having a pretty decent career for five or six more years. And now he's out of the league. But, I just don't see anybody taking him serious. I think he'll be on an NBA roster. I think people like would like to have him at the end of their roster. You know, vet minimum, not a big deal. Has been around the league, but I don't think anyone's going to really expect him to do a lot. I don't think he'll go to Europe, Australia, or anything like that. I think he could, you know, still make the. T- I think he'd rather make two seven, you know, two eight, whatever he's going to make a vet minimum, rather than go to China, make a couple of million, but has to play in China or something like that. Because I think China will be the only one that will give him some decent money, and I think even they would probably look at his injury history and not really, you know, risk a lot of money. So I think he'll be a a veteran minimum player and. You know, I'd say a, a 15% chance of him really getting a lot, you know, significantly better than that. 
unfortunately, when these guys start getting hurt and they get labeled as busts and things like that, you know, teams really don't take chances on them as far as like, hey, we got Dante Exum. We really believe in him. I think we could play him 20 minutes a night. It's not, it's not like that. They got, you got all these young players, all these other players, all these better players, you're paying more money. It's going to be really hard to put him into a rotation situation, in my opinion, which means he'll be in the MVP race in three years. <laughs> and, and Dan, my, my, my thought process around it was that he might, you know, he might not even put his hand up um, because he has, he has so much weighing on the next couple of years of his career where he might think, you know what, I need to stay in, in you know, LA or wherever I'm based in my off season and get some workouts in, get my body right with some good people, some some therapy, physios, uh, weight room, sport performance type guys and just knuckle down on, on really getting over my injuries rather than limping into a, an Olympic camp because he's been hurt again this year with some calf issues. So that was my mindset too. Cut, yes, but mm -hmm. also I think that I think the smart decision for his career is just to, to revamp and, and get his body right. So we'll watch that space. Next one. Hi, guys. Really enjoying the podcast, and it's got me watching games again. What do you guys think about the drama theatrics some players put on when they get injured? And is it frowned upon by peers? It's bordering on Brazilian soccer sometimes, and it seems the bigger the star, the bigger the performance. Cheers, Aaron from San Rebo here in Victoria. I have noticed that, um, and it's, you know, sometimes it's more prevalent some seasons than it is others. I kind of had... My own experience, I told my most of my teammates that I play with, if I go down and I don't get up, just call an ambulance um, because I'm, I'm in some shit. Um, I'll, <laughs> I'll always try to get up. Um, even when I broke my leg, I tr I'll try to get up and run it off first and see how bad it is. Like, you know, sometimes you don't really know, especially with lower lower limb injuries, leg injuries, you don't really know until you wait there. So I'd, I'd always try to get to my feet. But if I've gone down and I can't get on my feet and I'm rolling around like an idiot, like just just call it a day. That My season's over. <laughs> I'm going straight to hospital and getting some sort of surgery. So I think it is a, a little bit frustrating. You know, the old Paul Pierce out of the reader in a wheelchair, a little bit too much mayonnaise on it. But um, that's that's where the world is going. It um, Everyone wants to be limp off into the locker room and then come back and drop 50 and have this miraculous story and that's kind of that's kind of where we are as a society it's all about selling the drama pro yeah everybody wants to be willis reed like every every little nick and cranny they get or a little injury they get they want to make it think like they need microfracture surgery and then if they come back oh look at the comeback that this player had to make or they just make a big deal out of it they're, you know there aren't very few real tough guys in the nba anymore as far as like you know, get hurt. Like you said, if they stay down, that means they're really fucking hurt. But that's just the way we live. Like everything's on social media. You know, every, you know, there's going to be all the cameras are on them and there's going to be a, a thousand people tweeting about it. Oh, look at, you know, he's hurt. He's this and that. And then, you know, then you get the fake injuries, which, you know, people are dramatic about those as well. So just so sort of the type of player we have playing in the, in the league today for the most part. But hey, what are you going to do? You just deal with it and you move on. The funniest one I've seen. Have you seen the JaVel McGee fake injury clip, bro? I don't think so. I think it was with the Lakers playing against Golden State. So he just left Golden State, gone to the Lakers, and he something happened on an offensive possession, and he'd fallen out of bounds and gone down like he was – I don't think he fell to the ground. I think he was holding something like he'd hurt himself really bad. And you see Draymond Green uh -huh. yelling at whoever was guarding Javel, like, go double the ball. He's hurt. As soon as the guy ran away, he ran back onto the court from the baseline, grabbed the, got a pass and dunked it. <laughs> oh, fuck. And you're like, Javel. Oh. I get it. That's hey, that that's strategic. I like that. But the the whole you know limp into a locker room and then sprinting out like you've just had a, a brand new kneecap sewn on. I'm not a fan of that. But um, we'll I fucking love that. We'll continue I love to see that. it. 
Next one. This one was an interesting one. Hi, hi Bogues and Pro. Big fan of the pod and enjoy listening every week. I follow the Pacers and earlier this year listened to the Pacerus podcast. So shout out to fellow podcasters at the Pacerus. I haven't I haven't listened to that because I'm not a Pacers fan. But And they had the Pacers president of basketball operations, Kevin Pritchard on. He links, he links to YouTube's uh, website. He talks about how the Pacers are up front with players if they are in trade talks and gives specific examples about how they tell players, most recently Miles Turner, that they are discussing trading them so they don't find out from the media first. The thinking is that by being open and honest with the players, they'll do the same in return. If they're told about being traded, but it never eventuates, Pritchard says they're expected to come back, join the team and work hard. The players have apparently been very appreciative of this for those that have been in those circumstances. My question is, is this commonplace in the NBA? How would you react to being in this situation? Would you find it hard to come back to a team knowing they were actively trying to trade you for for one reason or another? Appreciate all the hard work, boys, and cheers. And I accidentally cut off that guy's name. So thank you um, <laughs> for that question. I think it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't, bro. Like I, I, I think mm-hmm. – you know, do you really want to tell a player, "Hey, man, you're on the you're on the block. We're, we're gonna tra- no. we're probably gonna trade you." Then come back two weeks later no. after deadline, and be like, "Ah, oh, just just joking, man. <laughs> we love you. Like, go out there mm-hmm. and play hard for us." No, I think you take the risk of them finding out through the media. Um, because yeah, I, I mean, if I was a, when I was playing, I mean, I'm preparing for a big game this week, and the GM says and goes. You know, we're probably going to trade you. We're looking at some deals and be like, what? <laughs> like, I'm not valued here. You know, it's it's hard. It's human nature to think, fuck, like, you know, they don't value me here. They're looking elsewhere. And I would hold my cards close to my chest. I find it hard to believe that Pritchard tells every player that they're in, um, they're in, they're in trade deals. I find that very hard to believe. I think there's there's an argument to be made that he probably goes to stuff that he 100% knows will be leaked, like a big player like Miles Turner, um, and tells him. But I, I, I highly doubt he's telling every single player pro. Yeah, I think it, I think it would be suicide to do that. You know, and it continue, it's just too much of a too much of a war zone to do that during trade talks and things. Look, I, I think as a as a GM. And not every GM will take the sentiment, so I don't really give a fuck. I'm just going to give you my two cents. Like, every player that you have, you talk to and you say, look, I have an obligation to the organization to make these calls every day to get the value of every player on my roster. You know, when when I was in Boston, I, I would hear Danny Ainge talking about trades with every player just to get trade value on, on like, just in case you have to make a deal. So, look, you go and play. I'm not going to tell you about trades because it's going to fuck you up. And, I, you know, and just in case we're deep in a trade and I'm telling you this and then we, you know, and then we don't make the trade, it's going to be fucked up with us. Look, if you find out through the media, it is what it is. But I'm going to tell you this. You go out and play. I have to assess your value and I have to do what's best for the organization. Now, I'll tell you what, if you demand a trade... I, then I, I could see if a, if a player demands a trade and you respect the player, like if Miles Turner de, like demanded a trade, then you talk to him about it and you're like, look, I'll keep you updated. We'll try to get you the best place, and if it, you know, and we'll keep you updated about it. But you can't up, like I, I I respect that. Like you know, if you're going to be honest to players, but look, look, they don't need that shit in their life. Like like say, look, you, th- this is the this is what you sign up for. You don't tell us about your free agent stuff. We don't tell you about trade stuff. It's just a, a sort of a, a common law, common practice thing. Like, if you get traded, this is why you get paid all this money. You got to deal with this shit. If we lose you in free agency, this is why I get paid this shit. So I have to assess you. And if, if you could help us on the floor not trade you, great. 
if you're going to get traded because we can get something that's going to help our organization, that's what I got to do. But I'm not going to update you every two days about this shit because it's, you know, 90% of these things we talk about never get done. 100%. You know, yeah. They just talk. Man, yeah. it's, the, it's yeah. counterproductive, so, right? You're, just, you're wasting time every day. Yeah. Hey, guys, trade update, team meeting. I had you going to Boston, but they pulled out. I had you going to Memphis, but shit, they didn't want to give us any cash in the deal. And I had you going for a Gatorade cooler, and they wouldn't throw some water in there. Like, it's like, what's the point? Like, what is the point? And the only thing I'd say with, with GMs, just don't tell guys, you're our guy, we're never going to trade you. <laughs> That's one yeah. thing you can you don't do. And there's, there's, there's notorious amounts of GMs that have told numerous uh, superstar players, you're our guy, we'd never trade you, and they're traded a year later. Don't do that. Everything else is fair game, in my opinion. And pro, I mean, the Indiana culture right now, I'm not looking too good, is it? <laughs> That's, no, fuck no, no. That's the funny part about all no. this. I read it and I'm like, hang on a second. Look at the news last week from Indiana. So maybe maybe the players were all on edge with each other and poor old Greg Foster just had to snap because he kept copying shit from everyone that was on the trade uh, the trade rumor circle from Kevin Pritchard. <laughs> Seriously, this thing should be a fucking movie. It'll be a it'll be a bestseller on Netflix. I'll tell you that. Who's who's part two? The Indiana Pacers. Yeah. No shit. Yeah. Speaking of indie, they've had they've had some some. Some uh, moments that could be all be documentaries. That they had the brawl, they had the the shooting at the hotel when Stephen Jackson was there back in the day. So they've had some some really good off court dramas um, over the last thirty odd years. So keep it up, Indiana. It's, it's fun to talk about you. Next one, small market, high drama. We love it. That's it. Last one. Hi, Bogan and Mike. Saw this on the internet today and realized that this was an exchange between Dirk and Pro. Your infamous text message that Pro put <laughs> out, which is which is pretty funny. I love the podcast and banner between you guys. Great real podcast. My question to, you, by the way, he actually sent a photo. I emailed it to you. A photo of Hol- of Holger, <laughs> Dirk's trainer, and thought it was you. <laughs> Yeah, that's, a, that's what my organs look like. They look like Hoga right now. But yeah, yeah. but no, that's not me. I Hoga's wish. About 70, the guy looks way better. 70, 70, 75 kilos and he's about 75 years old. Yeah, that's not pro. Yeah, no. My question to you today, Bogut, while it's extremely hard or maybe even to compare, who did you feel like had more deadly offensive game, KD or Curry? What was it like in a timeout when you had both options to win a game? I understand you've noted on many podcasts the fact ball movement and unselfishness was so big for the Warriors, but when you had so much firepower down the stretch of a big game, who would be getting that shot? And would there be arguments between the big stars as you would then have players like a Draymond Green or Clay who may not be getting a look? Well, first off, Draymond's not getting the last shot. You know, I love Draymond Green, but he's not getting the, the last jumper when you got KD, Steph, or, or Clay on the team. Creating further issues, stress on chemistry. Interested to hear your thoughts. Big fan of Durant. Hoping to meet him one day. Jack from Adelaide. Look, it wasn't really spoken about. I mean, Steve would draw up plays towards the end of the games when I was there with all three of them. And yeah, if one guy was hot that night, they'd, they'd generally be getting the ball to them. And then it was a luxury. Let's say it was KD that was hot that night. We're going to UKD and just know you got Steph here and Clay here. If they double, that's quite a luxury for KD to have. So there was different nights with different guys out of those three. And that's the beauty of having a big three, similar to what Brooklyn have. Game on the line, KD versus Curry. I mean, it's, it's much of a muchness. I mean, Curry fans will say Curry, KD fans will say KD. For me, a one-on-one bucket, KD. I mean, the dude's seven foot tall. He has an unbelievable shooting touch, and he just has – he, you know, Steph has just as much stuff in his bag. The issue being Steph is almost eight, nine, ten inches shorter. Problem with KD is you can play the best defense in the world, cut off all his, you know, pump fake, his crossover, stay on everything, and then he just rises over and shoots over you. With, with Steph, you can do all that, 
um, which Kevin Love did in that final series where they beat us, and and then Steph couldn't get the shot off because he wasn't tall enough with 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 Kevin Love guarding him, and KD doesn't have that problem. And I've seen it numerous times: offenders two crossovers, three crossovers, spin, fake. They've done everything right, and he just rises over and knocks it down. So one on one game on the line, I would I would go to KD. Most often they're not, unless Steph's having one of those games where he's ten for ten from three. But KD is just an unbelievable, you know, scorer, and I think he gets a lot of credit, but also cops a lot of shit because he's, you know, always involved in some sort of drama or getting into it with people, which which is his prerogative. But I think as far as a one on one scorer, he's he's the pinnacle for me, bro. Yeah, I'm gonna go with KD on this one. It's really tough because both those guys are unbelievable scorers in their own right. Steph is just he, he's just changes the game what he does shooting the ball and getting the paint and change speeds and finishing and things like that and moving off the ball. KD, look, you hit it right on the head. It's it's being seven feet tall, being able to create space and being able to, you know, when you're, when you're shooting fadeaways and you're 6'3", it's a little bit tougher to get shots off at 6'3", than you are when you're fading away at seven feet. It's, it's really tough to really get at a shot. And he could score inside, outside, off the dribble, pick and rolls, you know, spot ups and transition. And um, post up. I, I just think yeah. he's a, yeah, post up. I think he's a generational talent. I, I, so, so is Steph. But, you know, um, I could see it being a little bit of an issue, being outside looking in. You know, both those guys got egos as they should, you know, being so good. And, you know, it probably could be problematic at times if, if you know, if you call a play for one guy at the end of the game instead of the other. But that's a great fucking problem to have. But, I, yeah, I would probably go with KD if I needed one shot. But those – I mean, having both those guys, it's just an offensive clinic. Watching those watch, – watching you guys play back then, you know, it was just an offensive clinic and, and how to, you know, how to get shots off and how to get good offense. It's, it was ridiculous watching. Yeah, so for the for, for your life on the line, pro, or for that last piece of pizza in a box, who are you going with one on one for a bucket? I go KD for one on one for a bucket. No doubt. Okay, story time this week. We don't have a story time, so car chat episode five comes out in a couple of days, and you can hear a story time on that one about my um, potential car thievery days from my childhood. So if you want to have a laugh about some of the stupid shit I did as a kid, there's a really good story time on that one, which we'll hopefully have released in the next three or four days. But we'll give the story time the day off. We're almost at two hours. Thanks, Pro, at Hoop Consultants, at Rogue Bogues, on all your social medias. Podcast is everywhere on all good platforms. So uh, we will see you next week. Thanks again, Pro. Thank you. Talk about a fucking Nissan Altima once in a while in that fucking car chat. I can't fucking, you know, I can't afford any of those fucking cars you talk about. <laughs> no, we don't drive the old. I've got a Kia actually. I just bought a Kia minivan. Funnily enough, that's a, that's what point of life. Nice. That's where I'm at in my life. I just bought a I bought a minivan. <laughs> so that's where I'm at. You know, I get the kids in there. I can't can't have my kids in a normal car because my seat's so far back, and my kids are already giants. <laughs> so they're, they're booting the shit out of me back there, and I'm, I'm I'm driving with road rage before I even got out of the driveway. So had to had to had to minivan it. Hey, you wake up with fucking road rage. Let's be honest. You got to take a picture of that shit. That'd be great. Oh, it's, it's a nice car. Put some nice little rims on it. Tinted the windows. It looks all right, man. I'm happy. You know. Yeah. See, like you think you're a man of the fucking people getting a Kia. Unfortunately, you soup it up with about twenty eight thousand no, no, fucking no, no, work. No, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. I just got a nice little nice. Right. No, no, nothing fancy. Nothing NBA spec. The car. I, I'm. I'm not afraid. It's a fifty five grand fully loaded. 
beautiful car Australian currency I highly recommend them too actually the, you get all these nice extras in them you know heated steering wheel heated cool, heated and cooled seats all included but you go buy a, a Benz or a BMW and they're slugging you 4k for the heated seats and 5k for the heated wheel so well done Kia real good car value for money they're not a sponsor of this show yet but yeah I highly recommend yeah no cars. shit good car yeah, and I'll be working at Kia in about two weeks. So, you know, fucking, you know, buy Kia because that might be fucking selling you the, your next car. You would be the all-time best car salesman, bro. I'll I'll buy a car from you any, any day of the week. I'm taking fucking, I'm taking resumes, brother. <laughs> Let me know. All right. Thanks, bro. See ya. Later.